0: This morning, I want to talk to you about leadership, and you may know me, you may not know me, but you may be asking, what on earth does this guy know about leadership, and what can I know about leadership from him? And frankly, you may be right, there may not be a ton you could learn from leadership from me, but here's my heart, here's my desire this morning, is I want to point you to someone who, if you have an open mind, I think you might admit he knows something a little bit about leadership. 2,000 years after they put the body of Jesus in the ground, there are today millions of people with total and undying devotion to this person, Jesus. So I don't know what your beliefs about Jesus are here this morning, but if you looked at leaders and leadership, there might be something we could learn about leadership from Jesus. Now, think about it. When you're young, leaders are picked for you. You were all born into a family and you were raised by someone, your parents, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a foster or adoptive parent in some sort of way. Teachers are placed in front of you, which you have very little choosing over. Coaches often are put in front of you. But as you get older, you begin to have a say in who you follow. You essentially get to begin to pick your leaders in some ways. I want to just put out there for you this morning what, what my central truth is this morning. And you can write this down. If you're following along in the notes, you can jot this down. This is the big idea. This is the thesis I'm going after this morning, uh, that we're going to look at our text and it's, and it's pointing toward this, that selecting and trusting a leader is life's most strategic pursuit. Uh, have you ever asked to speak to the manager? been in a situation where you've, you've asked to speak to the manager, or, or maybe flip it around. Have you ever been asked, can I speak to your manager, please, right? This week, uh, during bedtime prayers, this happened to me. My four-year-old was praying. We were praying at night, and I have two four-year-olds, so there's often great jockeying as to who gets to pray that night. Sometimes they both do. Sometimes it's one. So Eli got to pray the other day. And I basically got to hear a four-year-old's version of, can I please speak to your supervisor? He basically went over dad's head, and I got told on during bedtime prayers. Here's how it went down. Uh, he began to pray, and we had been hiking that day, and, and our kids are off school this week, so we've been doing some adventure days. And he began to pray, and he thanked God for an awesome day, and mentioned a few things. And then he moved into the complaints department, and he said, the hike was a little long. I didn't really like that, and there could have been more water. Now, at this point, I kid you not, I'm up praying, he's on an upper bunk bed, and I I peeked. I'm like, what is happening? And here's my four-year-old, utterly sincere, eyes closed, pouring out his heart to God. He's giving him the good and the bad. He's giving the compliments, and he's giving the complaints of the day. Now, I have to say that my flesh was a little bit hurt by this, and I wanted to say, Objection, Your Honor! I had a camel back. There was plenty of water. Like I, I wanted to start defending myself, which is kind of ludicrous. And as he continued to pray, my, my kids pray long prayers at bedtime. Any of yours do that? It may be an avoidance to go to sleep, or they may be way more spiritual than I. I'm not sure which it is. But he's praying, and as he's praying, honestly, my, my heart and mind just went a totally different direction. I thought, you know, this is exactly who I would want to point my four-year-old to to pour out his heart to every single night. To pour out all the good, to pour out all the bad, and frankly, he's right. He's going to the one that can do something about it when bad leadership is placed in front of him. In this case, his dad, who made him hike too long and evidently didn't give him enough water. And, and And as he continued to pray, I sat there and I thought, wow, it really is God's responsibility... And he's doing the right thing in in doing this. I hope he has a lifelong pattern of this. You know what else I loved? I love that he's not old enough yet to be manipulative and talk to me and dress it up with God talk and prayer. You ever been in a prayer circle where you're like, I think someone's confronting me right now in prayer. How weird is that? We're supposed to be talking to God, but they don't have the guts to tell me face to face, so they're sharing it in this prayer circle? Eli wasn't doing that. Eli was just pouring his heart out to God as a, as a child would. And then I thought further, I thought, you know, he's actually obeying what Peter says to do in, in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's what Eli was doing. He was just casting his worries, his concerns of the day on God, knowing that he cares for him. When you look at Jesus and leadership, there's a word that's there right next to leadership, and it's the word care. Sometimes we use the word serve here in the church. But leadership isn't about lording over. Leadership involves care, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Maybe you've wondered this. Does anyone care about my personal needs? Is there someone who's got this, or is this all on me? Is anyone looking out, or is it or is it my job solely to be doing this. It really touches on insecurity, our anxieties, the fear that we have, sometimes the pain that accompanies leadership. Selecting and trusting a leader is life's most strategic pursuit. People are funny about needs, aren't they? Some are drama queens about needs, and some pretend that they don't exist. It's really the difference between soccer players and cyclists. Here's a soccer player. And here's a cyclist. Now, to be fair, cyclists are so pumped full of drugs that they could take like a direct hit from a missile, and they'd still be OK because steroid use is rampant in the sport. But this is how some people handle their hurts. Some some cry over the tiniest thing, and you, you start to tune those people out. And some pretend, I'm OK. And you're like, well, your arm's hanging off. I a your flesh wound. You know, and they just kind of go through their life and, and pretend that there's no problem. If you're here this morning and you're not very religious, I want you to know we're thrilled that you're here. We have people every single week sitting in our church who are undecided yet, who are not sure about this whole Jesus thing yet, and we're thrilled that you're here. Here's what I think you'll find. I think you'll find that most people here aren't really all that religious either. We don't attend here because we love the, the religious aspect of it. But many people come week after week to this place because we've come to believe some things about Jesus and we're following him and it's, it's really utterly changed our lives. Whether you're a Christian this morning and made a profession of faith to follow Christ or whether you're undecided or whether you're antagonistic, let me say this, that what we're talking about this morning in, in terms of who you will follow and in terms of the needs that it stirs up really aren't Christian or non-Christian problems. They're just human ones. Insecurities, fears, and pain, and disappointment, and the the questions that we have going through life are just part of being the human race, right? The only question is how you respond to them, how you deal with those hurts and needs. We're in a series right now called Red Words, and Red Words, uh, if you didn't grow up around church and haven't read the Bible, you might wonder what that is. Many translations of the Bible have the words of Christ printed in red. So if you turn to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see red words. Those are the red words of Jesus Christ. They're highlighted in red because uh, we believe as Christians that it's so important to hear directly from the Savior. And so they're they're highlighted. And in this series, we are studying and looking at in depth what did Jesus say because we want to hear directly from him on who he was and um, what he is all about. Jesus is not an idea or a philosophy or a cause. Jesus is a person. Jesus was born into a family with people who are known. He came speaking a very specific language. He dressed culturally relevant to the place that he grew up and was born in. And he walked a specific place on this planet during a specific time. He had a name that was as common in in his day as Lindsay or John might be today. Jesus was a person. And as people, you know if that's good for us is that he's relatable. It's relatable that he is a person rather than an idea or a cause or some mystical thing out there. There was a follower of Jesus turned author, and his name was John. He was one of the disciples. And in his gospel, he's already told his readers about the eternal life that Jesus offers. You may have seen this reference at a football game before, John 3.16. That's John telling about the eternal life that Jesus came to offer. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 10. If you have a Bible, turn to John 10. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, reach in front of you. There's a Bible sitting there in front. That's your gift. If you don't own one, please take that. And in John chapter 10, he's going to move from the eternal life that Jesus offers to the abundant life that Jesus offers. It's not just more of the same life. Some people say, you get to live forever. And they go, that sounds terrible. Do you know what kind of life I've lived? Eternal life? Are you kidding me? Make it stop. Jesus didn't just come to offer more of the same for a really long time. He came to offer life abundant. That is, life that is overflowing, generous, rich, never-run-short kind of living. Imagine the difference between what it would look like to just survive on this planet and to really thrive in all of the capacities of life. So John has told us about the eternal life. Now he moves on to the abundant life at John 10, uh, verse 21 verses. It's a long chunk of scripture and it's going to bring up a lot of thoughts and questions and ideas in your mind. We're not going to have time to tackle all of them. So I hope you go back and and look at it some more. John was a lot like us in this room. John had needs. John was looking for someone that could help him with the insecurities, with with the fears, with the things that were out of his control. He He was looking for someone older and wiser in this life. Ultimately, he came to believe and put his whole trust in Jesus. And when John writes his gospel, he actually says this, I'm writing these things down so that those who will come after me and have questions would believe like I do. I want to give this away. And so that's why John writes. Jesus is going to make two I am statements today. John walks through his gospel with seven of them. Seven I am statements. We're going to see two of them in our passage today. First, I am the door. And secondly, I am the good shepherd. And simply put, the door, um, or some of your translations might say the gate, speaks to Jesus being the legitimate way to God. The opening where there's free Pasture, uh, walking out to pasture and coming back into protection. It happens through him, through the door, through the gate. And being the good shepherd, good is just a marker. He's going to contrast good and bad shepherds. So he qualifies himself as the good shepherd. And shepherd just means that he is our leader and caretaker. When you see sheep in this passage, it means people. We're the sheep. So to kind of sum that up, here, here we go. Gate says, I am the Savior, enter by me. Shepherd says, I am the leader, listen to me. You probably have questions this morning. Probably what's for lunch and do I have enough money to pay my bills next week and those kinds of things. But hopefully sitting in church, you're also directing your mind towards spiritual questions. Some of you might be at this place. Is Jesus even real? This guy just said that he's not an idea or philosophy. He's a person. Does this guy think he's really a person? Maybe you've moved beyond that and you've settled that one. And maybe you're wrestling right now. Rob touched on this. Can Jesus be trusted? I've leaned on him in the past, but today, is he reliable? This next season that I'm walking into right now, Jesus, can I trust you? Can I follow you into that? I'm scared. I'm fearful. This morning, we're going to listen to his words. Now, just before we read this, um, a little bit of background work is. Do we have any sheep farmers in our midst today? Okay, that's what I thought. And so we're going to do just a little bit of background work because I'm not a sheep farmer either. But the things Jesus said would have been really, really common to to his original hearers. They would have understood this and not needed any further clarification. But for us, some 2,000 later, uh, years later, living in a suburban uh, center, uh, needs some clarification. The sheepfold, I want you just to imagine kind of a, a big open yard with, 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 a, with a wall around it of some kind, basically to keep the sheep from getting out. So that's what a, that's what a sheepfold is. At night, several flocks were given uh, by their shepherds into the care of this farmhand, so to speak. And they would bring all of their flocks together, and there would be someone there to kind of watch them over the night. In the morning, each shepherd would come and would call his flock out, and and they would have a distinct sound or click or whistle or whatever, and the sheep would know, and they would follow that shepherd. So this goes on every single day um, in, in Jesus' day, and so it would have been very common. I was in Ethiopia a few years ago. My my wife and I were there. And um, we stayed at this place right in the center of of Addis Ababa, the the capital city. And as I walked down and sat sat and had my morning coffee, I would look across the street. And I would watch this process go on. It was different shepherds come with with goats and sheep. And they would come and gather. And I would watch them. Um, Here they are just across the street bringing their herds and and they would they would all mix and mingle and there would be a big market going on and then i would i would watch them leave and and they would never have to figure out who was who it was actually really remarkable i had several passages of scripture because shepherd and sheep motif is all through the scriptures so there's a little picture of 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 it going on the point jesus is going to get to is this that legitimate shepherds enter by the gate anyone climbing over the wall is there for ill intent They're there to either steal sheep or kill sheep or in some way be uh, wrong, doing something wrong. The distinction that Jesus is talking about is between benevolent shepherds and plundering robbers. If you look deeper, what he's talking about is two different ways of leading people. And we're not going to dive into this too much, but just before this, here's the context. There's some Pharisees that are scrutinizing this guy that was healed. And they, they just got done throwing him out of their midst and belittling him and name-calling him, and here's why. He was saying things about Jesus that didn't fit their narrative of who Jesus was. Jesus was not a legitimate Pharisee, and so he wasn't in their club. And then furthermore, this guy who was, um, who was healed uh, was just giving testimony, just sharing what happened with Jesus. And they, they thought he was presuming a mere beggar, to lecture them. Who was he? And so they just got done throwing him out and belittling him with name-calling. And what we find is Jesus seeking him out and receiving him. So again, the contrast in care and leadership is on display at the end of of John chapter 9. And then we see this in John chapter 10. So follow along with me um, as we we read. John chapter 10 verse 1 says this, Jesus talking. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying them. So Jesus again said to them, verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Verse 19, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of? Jesus' words found a mixed review back in the day, and Jesus' words find a mixed review today, probably in this room. Some that say, why listen to that? Others that say, "I'm, I'm curious, I want more. Others who say, these are the words of life. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. We all have trust troubles, All this talk of sheep and listening and following and knowing points to this word, trust. We all have troubles trusting. Experience has taught us this. We've had a couple of labs that are rescue labs, uh, dogs, Labrador Retrievers, in case you don't know what a lab is. Um, And when you see a lab uh, that you go to pet and it flinches, you know that someone put that there in that dog because labs, by and large, are the most friendly, outgoing, accepting kind of an animal. And when you see one flinch, you you think in your mind, wow, that was put there by someone doing something wrong to that dog. Here's my hunch in this room. We probably have a lot of people here who flinch. Someone tries to get close to you and you pull away. Someone tries to compliment you and you kind of pull away. Someone tries to assert leadership in any kind of way, and you immediately feel almost the taste in your mouth that this is not a good thing. Experience taught the lab. Experience has taught us don't trust, don't go down that road, don't open yourself up. Consider for a moment who you follow. Consider for a moment, maybe here's a different way of asking, who gets to regulate you? Who gets to tell you what to do? We live in an interesting paradox right now where in the last couple of decades, you look at things like seat belts and you look at helmets and things that are mandated for our personal safety and mandated for the environment. Uh, and there's all kinds of laws put down, and and we're kind of getting more and more so, where there's a bill on the table right now as a cyclist, I'm paying attention to this, where they're going to potentially mandate all people of all ages at all times to wear a helmet while riding a bike. So so here's, what, here's, here's where the paradox comes in. There's all kinds of laws coming into place about people's personal safety, and people are going through giant inconvenience to, to obey these laws and be told what to do. But notice this. That the second that someone puts any kind of moral requirement on someone in our society, there's a giant reaction. How dare you tell me what to do? How dare you try to influence me or regulate me or tell me what's best for me? Isn't that odd? We have tons that we willingly do over here, but we will not submit over here. In fact, aren't we applauded if someone stands up and says that? That's right. Listen to that person. So that's the paradox that we live in. Selecting and trusting a leader is life's most strategic pursuit. I said that we all have trust troubles. Here's the second part of that. Yet you still must trust. It's not that you have the option not to trust. Think about how much energy goes into researching who to follow and who to trust. I don't know what leadership needs you have in your life right now, but as you have questions, you go and you seek out answers from people, what you're doing is you're trusting their leadership. Think about it. If it's tax or investment, you go to a CPA or to a banker. If it's sports, you go to a coach. If it's medical in nature, you go seek out a doctor. If it's legal, you go to a lawyer. Education, you go to a teacher. Diet, relationships, career. People are seeking questions. They're seeking leaders to listen to. Help me out. Help fill this in. Be my life coach. Tell me what to do. Here's the question on everyone's mind. Are they trustworthy? Are they worthy of my trust? So it's not whether you're going to trust or not. You already do that. Many people get stuck when it comes to moral or spiritual quest. And here's two of the common objections that I hear often. I can't trust someone that I've never seen or met. Now add to that that you tell me that he lived 2,000 years ago in a place I've never remotely even been to. That's a giant hurdle. You know what, when someone tells me that, here's what I tell them, I understand. I really do, I get that. That's a pretty big hurdle. Here's the second one. A lot of times people say this, you know what, I am a fact person and not a faith person. I live my life based on fact and not on faith. And so you, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a, as a person of faith, I get that. That's fine for you, but that's not me. Let me push back. If those objections sound familiar, if you're saying to me, to, to me right now in our little conversation that's going on in your head, you're like, yeah, that's me. Let me, let me just nudge you a little bit on both of those, okay? Consider for a moment that you are, you are not either a fact or faith person, but that you're both. The truth is we are all fact and faith. This isn't just true in the big things. You put your life in the hands of others all the time, often without a ton of research um, involved in that. Uh, We were hiking, my my wife and I, at a place called Mount Entoto. We were in Ethiopia. Didn't speak the language. We were with a Christian guy that had been driving us around. He was our hired guy. And there was one little contact that I had. Um, And so our our total trust of, of Haile, our driver, was a contact that I had who's a missionary there who, this guy drives for the Christian school, and about three days now of him driving around and getting to know him and talk to him. That's my total trust of this guy. So we had kind of an open day, and we left the city at 7,000 feet and drove up to the top of 10,000 feet. That's sitting at the top of Heavenly Okay, so a really high mountain um, in 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 Africa. We get to the top and he begins talking to this guy up there, probably this 16-year-old kid, and he's talking back and forth, and we don't really know what's going on. And he said, Hey, this guy's take us on a on a on a hike. And I'm like, Okay. So we're up at the top of this place, in the middle of absolutely nowhere. No one knows where we are. We're in this deep forest, and we're hiking around, and after about 10 minutes. My wife, myself, and our driver are all really huffing and puffing. It's, it's a really steep hike, and we're really high up there. And the 16-year-old's doing fine. He lives up there. So he's take, taking us around. And then we come to a, to a cave. And they talk back and forth. And, and Heidi says, there's a, there's a hyena that he saw in here yesterday, and we're going to try and draw it out. And I'm like, cool, that sounds awesome. And so we all start taking and throwing rocks at this cave. And... Um, The only sane person was my wife, who thought maybe this wasn't a good idea. Um, but try as we might, we couldn't coax this hyena out. Now, do you see what I'm saying? How, now, now some of you think, well, I would never do what you just did. But right there in that moment, I didn't, I didn't check Hailey's mental stability as he drove us up the windy mountain road. We have no idea who this kid is. I have no idea the exchange of conversation. They could have had this deep plot. Hey, I've got a couple of Americans. What do you think we should do with them? I mean, they could have done anything, right? But I put my life and my wife's hand, uh, life in, in this person's hands, often without much research. Now, before you judge me, you place your trust in many people all the time who you never will see, You'll never meet, and yet you believe they are there, and you put your life in their hands. And here's how I know this, because your actions speak loudly to me. Um, If you have flown in the last lifetime, can you raise your hand? If you ever have flown an airplane, okay? All right. If you honestly don't know where your lettuce came from that you bought at the store or saw the cow that produced your milk or actually watched your hamburger being made, In the last year. Can you show me if you don't know exactly where your food came from? Okay. The rest of you, please. You're growing all your own food. You pickled those pickles. Come on. We don't see what happens with our food. If you are a chair sitter today, you know what you're doing? You are putting your life in, in someone else, right? Someone else built that chair. You don't know who, you don't know the stability of that. Your cars, most of you have your car worked on all the time. You race around all the time. Utter confidence in someone that put that car together and probably is maintaining that car. So all the time, our actions say this: I am a person of fact and faith. Can I get over the fact that that the fact? Can I get over the reality that I don't have all the details and all the facts before I get in my car, start it up, and drive it away? Yeah. What am I going to do? I'm going to line up the facts. And at some point, I'm going to have to take a leap of faith. I'm going to say there's, there's all kinds of unknowns, but I live my life this way. So that's the pushback for those of you who might get stuck. Here's the point. We rely on other people. We trust them all the time based on facts and faith. That is life. Life is an ongoing blend of those two. So here's the question. Who is leading you? Who are you following? Some people are proudly self-directed. But let me have you consider something. How is life going with you leading? How is life going with you at the helm? Life lived by unrestrained instinct has a poor track record. It ought to at least cause you pause to say, you know, I've often made decisions that I was pretty utterly confident in, and they turned out to be nightmares. I've put my trust into people, thinking that I was a good judge of character, and they were so not who I thought they were. How is it going really with you leading? Some people are proudly Christ-directed, but consider how life is going for those who merely say the words that they follow without actually following. You know what that's a recipe for? Self-righteous religious people. You know who Jesus came down hardest on? You guessed it. Self-righteous Religious people. That's the danger of people who say, I follow Christ. But they live their life exactly like others who are self-directed. All they're doing is they're dressing up their self-directed living with God talk. They're kind of dressing up with religious things. And that was really popular for a long time because religion held sort of a place in society. Guess what? That's all melting away. I think that's a good purifying thing for Christians. I really do. I don't feel any pressure in polite society to mention that I'm a part of a religion or that I have a belief system. In fact, I most often find that I get persecuted somewhat or strange looks if I do that. I think that's a purifying good thing. When you look at Jesus here in John 10, he calls people to follow him, unapologetically. And then guess what? He expects them to follow. Not because he wants something from them, but because he wants something for them. Here's what this passage touches on. You will follow who you trust, and conversely, you'll never follow someone that you don't trust. Here's the second big idea that I want to get at. There is one good pastor. George Barna put out some research this week, (laughs) just happened to be this week. He's a research guy. And he said that 90% of Americans believe that the country is poor is is worse off right now because of a lack of good leadership that there's a leadership crisis there's a leadership void going on two in five Americans say they have a bad boss and say that that is the primary stress in their life on the, on, on on the job there's a little axiom that goes around that says this people don't quit a job they quit a boss maybe that's been part of your story too you thought, man, if there was a good leader in front of me, I would have stayed at that job. But because that guy or gal was there, I had to get out of there. In church, God appointed pastors. God appointed elders. And really, uh, that's one term. There's, there's one office that's pastor-elder through the New Testament. The word pastor is a pretty loaded term, isn't it? It's, it's a, it's a Latin term that translated means this. Ready? Shepherd. So when Jesus calls himself, the good shepherd. You can think of it in modern vernacular as this way: I am the good pastor. That's a very fair equivalence to it. Now, kind of like gold blocks, there are some people who are who are too emphasizing of pastors, and there are some who are who are not enough emphasizing of pastors. Too much or too little. In the too much camp are those who uh, who have their undying devotion to. To a pastor. And, and if you think you're in that camp, here's what it might be. I've had some people come and tell me, um, you know what, I, I, was, uh, I was really on fire for the Lord under this, this person's ministry. And, um, and then I moved or then that person moved away or whatever else happened. I said, what year was that? Well, that was 1978. 1978? That was the last time you were on fire for the Lord? Guess who you were worshiping? Honestly. I mean, who were you following? You were following that pastor. That was who you were looking to as your Savior. If if you haven't maintained the relationship with Christ beyond that, then, then that's who you were looking to as your Savior and not Jesus. Here's a tip for anyone who's in our church and anyone who goes to any other church. Any leader that you follow that isn't first and foremost a follower and under some leadership is a really, really dangerous person. In fact, go do your studies on cults That's how cult leaders are formed. A lot of them started under leadership, and then they veered off, and they got out from under leadership. Why? Because they were getting pushback, and they had parameters put on, and they frankly didn't like that. You know who I see a lot of that today? Christian authors. There's a lot of great Christian authors out there that I get a lot out of. I read a lot of them. But there are some Christian authors who were pastors, and they got so much pushback from the elder board, from other brothers and sisters in the church, from the sticky confines of scripture that they just went out from under that. You know what they do? They write, and they write, and they write, and they write, and they tickle ears, and they sell millions of copies, and people look to them as their pastor. And guess what? That person is under no authority, no accountability. That's a dangerous person to have as your pastor. You ought to see in your leaders followers first. In fact, they ought to be consumed with following if they're a Christian leader. Um, We did a sermon series here a while ago called Church in HD. It was just looking at some of the different biblical metaphors of how the Bible talks about the church. And one of them was that we're called a flock. We talked about the fact that being a sheep isn't really all that flattering. Um, It's not a compliment necessarily, but it's pretty realistic. All of us wander away. All of us have these different needs. As we looked at that series, I really... Looked long and hard to try to get an image that captured what does pastoral leadership look like? What does it look like that elders in a local church are to be, um, under the chief shepherd? There's a chief shepherd and then there are under shepherds that, that, that govern and nurture and care for and, and, and protect the flock. They're called pastors and elders. And here's the image that I came up with. I came up with the image of a sheepdog. And I thought that was appropriate because if you look closely at the sheepdog, where's the sheepdog looking? He's looking right at the one who calls the shots. He's awaiting the next command. He's looking at the one who has the perspective that neither the dog nor the sheep have and will never have. The chief shepherd is Jesus. The under shepherds, pastors, teachers, leaders, elders in the church, they are servants looking to Jesus, waiting for the next whistle to say, hey, green pastor is over that way. Followership, which is the counterpart to leadership, should be the hallmark of Christian leaders. Here's the truth of some of you today. Some of you will move. You'll move churches, you'll move homes, you'll move jobs and cities. And you'll seek to establish new loyalties and leadership. Here's who goes with you all the time, Pastor Jesus. As you develop and nurture your following of, of, of Jesus, he will always be your pastor, no matter where you go, no matter what city that you're in. Now, if you move from this city and go to a different city, here's my charge to you. Go plug in to a good local Bible-preaching church. Get under the authority and care and protection of a church family. That's the normal Christian life. It's not a solo life. And as you seek to establish new loyalties and new people that you'll listen to and you'll take their input... Always remember the chief shepherd. Always remember whoever you're under in this new place or here in this place is simply a person, a servant, under the leadership of someone else. Ezekiel 34 is a passage you may just want to jot down and read sometime. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet is condemning the current shepherds. You know why? They were bad shepherds. They were using the sheep for their own personal gain. And maybe that was a bit of a backdrop as Jesus talked about his own leadership. As a shepherd, Pastor Jesus makes demands of us. And here's one that covers almost all the others. Ready? Listen to me. Listen to me. That's a demand that he makes on us. Now, this is really offensive if it's it's from a stranger, but if you're convinced that this person has authority and your best interest in mind, you know what you do? You kind of lean into them. You know who you listen to? You listen to those you trust. If you trust they don't want something from you, but want something for you, and you think they have some wisdom and some authority, you're going to lean into that. This week, we took our four younger kids to Point Lobos. And it was a, just an incredible day. And uh, as we went to Point Lobos, we decided to go to the very point. And we kind of rounded this corner, and, uh, and we saw people up there. My wife immediately says this, We are not going to that point! So for the next half mile, I had to work in my mind, how can we get my wife to let us get to that point? Oh, we have to get to that point. So we got to the base of it, and kind of once she saw how it was, it was treacherous, but not really that treacherous. But four squirrely youngers, uh, I had to pull them all in close, and here's what I did. I pulled them all in, and I said this. I said, come here, guys, come here. I said, I need eyes right now. When I say I need eyes, it means I need you just to like, look right in here, focus in on Dad, okay? Here it is. Listen to me. You catch that? Listen to me. This is really, really important. And so I gave them a few instructions, and we went up, and this time, miracle of miracles, all four listened to me, and I didn't go swimming. Uh, We didn't have to, you know, we brought all four back, and Dad stayed dry, which was a really, really good day in our household. But I was able to pull them in because I'm their dad, and they knew, they had a sense that something really fun was coming, and so they drew in. And they said, okay, we're with you, Dad. What is it? What is it? What's what's the plan? And so I gave them my things. I I didn't do that apologetically. I'm really sorry. I hate to exert some authority here, kids. I didn't do any of that. Because I want something for them. I'm not trying to get something from them. And guess what? They trusted me in that. That's not because that's the first time I've done that. It's because I'm their dad. That's how dads are supposed to be. Here's some... Passages, we could really just go on and on, but Jesus makes this same demand of us. Listen to me, everyone. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke 8 says this, take care then how you hear. John Piper says this, the entire life and work of Jesus is one great argument why we should listen to his word. The entire life and work of Jesus is one great argument of why we should listen to to his word. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And what? Listen to him. What does that translate to? They follow him. Listening and obedience go hand in hand. Doesn't this simplify life? You want to know if you are his sheep? It's a yes if you listen to his voice. Does God's word find a welcome place in your heart? Let that give you assurance to you that you're his. If you don't just listen, meaning hear the words, but listen by obeying and following, there's assurance given to you. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you want to know what to do in a tough situation? Follow the one good voice of the one good pastor. Seek out what he says to do on a thing. Who should you love? How should you live? How should you vote? Where should you pour your energies in? How should you spend? Listen to Jesus a key in the Bible that's going to give you the exact thing, but as you begin to open your heart and read what he says, he's going to speak to you through his word. You ever seek advice and get conflicting input from two people that you really respect and admire? Of course you do. You know why? Because we all see kind of dimly right now in the mirror. We don't have the same perspective as the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is looking at a way different perspective than any other sheep or sheepdogs, or anyone down here. So is it okay to ask advice? Absolutely. Proverbs tells us that with a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom found. So, so seek advice, seek input. But don't do it instead of talking to Pastor Jesus. Go to Pastor Jesus first, and then seek out input. Trust spoken is a lot than trust shown. I was at a hospital visit this week, and the confidence that was in Jesus that was on display was remarkable. It's one thing to say, I trust in Jesus, right? It's another thing to just live it out. And as I walked in, here's what I realized. This person's confidence was not in me. It was not in their doctor. It was not in other places. Although there was great comfort drawn from that. There was a friend that that came. It was in Jesus. And it was really, really crystal clear as as I sat there. I go to a lot of people in hospital beds. Here's what's cool about what I get to do? as a pastor of neighborhood Bible church, I came on assignment from Pastor Jesus. Here's, here's what I'm called to do: Go and sit with, pray with, be a friend to this precious sheep. If they're doubting and wondering them, and, and, and wondering in this situation, point them to me. Give them my words. If they are confident, agree with them, and let your own soul be encouraged. And that's what happened with me on this hospital visit. I just agreed with this person. I said, you're right. And we prayed, and we read a little scripture, and we had the visit. Guess who went away probably more encouraged than anyone? Me. I want to close with this. And, band, you can come on up right now. Here's some expectations and next steps. Hopefully this will give you some handles to kind of grab onto with John chapter 10 about moving forward. First thing you can expect is fear and worry as a sheep. Luke twelve twenty nine says this, Jesus talking, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the, pagans, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you as well. He goes on to say this, catch this, Do not be afraid, little flock. Why is he saying that? Because you can expect fear. You can expect some worry. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Listen to these instructions. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Don't get discouraged that you're fearful or worried. Rather, take comfort that your leader will provide. Here's the action step in that. Get in the habit of doing what Eli did. Take it straight to the top. Pray. Take it straight to the top. Pour out your heart, all of your compliments, all of your complaints, the good, the bad. Do it daily. Bible takes it a step further. Do it incessantly. Constantly be in conversation. I'm your pastor. You can't constantly be in conversation with me. Jesus is your pastor. You can constantly be in conversation with him. Take it to the top. Here's the second thing you can expect. As sheep, we don't have the same vantage point. So we ask questions like this. This is taking too long. When will it stop? This is hard. How much much more? I don't want to. When can I get off? Right? Sounds like family vacation for me, frankly. But we ask those things. Why? Because we're not in control of much. As finite creatures, we, we just aren't in control of that much stuff. So we're confused. The truth is, when you sell your possessions, when you give to the poor, when you seek and save the lost, you're often hated for it. You're very frequently misunderstood for it. Jesus did those things, and what? He was killed for it. So why would we expect anything different? John fifteen eighteen says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But as I have chosen you out of the world, that is why the world hates you. The action item is to pray the psalms. I love the psalms because they give language to so much of our hurt and our confusion and our worry and our questioning of God. And not only does it say it's okay to have those, it puts language to it. And you can just open up the psalms and say, wow, that's saying what my heart's feeling right now. Is that okay to say to God? Evidently, it's in the Bible. I'm going to pray that. So pray the psalms. Here's the last one. Expect care and leadership. If you want to see God's care for sheep, I want you to reread Psalm 23 this week. Don't read it with the last funeral that you went to in mind. Read it as a precious sheep of Jesus. Read it as words from your pastor and how he cares for individuals by name. Someone in men's group said two weeks ago, sometimes it's powerful to insert your own particular name into a passage. Maybe you can do that with Psalm 23. And then here's the action item. Express trust. By your actions. Express your trust. By your actions. No more words. Follow. Get up and follow. Let me pray. Jesus we thank you that you're alive today. We thank you that you are. Not an idea or a cause or a philosophy. But that you're a person. And that you've related to us. And you're personal to us. I pray this morning God. Is that you would meet each person here. Right where they're at. Minister to them as they need. We thank you God that. On any given week, you do that in such a variety of different ways. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.